Good morning, Taproot. We will be reading from Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. Please remain standing as we continue our worship through the reading of God's word. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Once I've finished um, reading, we will say together, this is the word of the Lord, and we'll respond, speak, Lord, your servants here. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. If you'll be seated and we'll pray. Father, I just thank you so much for the privilege of gathering together around your word. Uh, I thank you so much that we can open these scriptures and know who you are, know your story, and who who you've called us to be in you. And I just pray that as we come to this passage today that we will see you. Um, I thank you, Lord, that you have rescued us out of darkness and into your kingdom. And so I just pray that as we come to this passage, we will see you as a treasure and that you will be with Mike this morning as he preaches, Lord. Thank you so much that we get to hear him today. I just pray that you will fill him spirit, um, that these will be your words that we hear today, and that we will hear what you would have us learn. I pray over every person here, spirit, that you will be with us and that we will be changed by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Sam. Well, good morning, family. How are we? Awesome. Well, good to be with y'all. Good to get to be up here and preach. Um, I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm like super nervous. I was, I was sitting there, we were finishing up and praying and I was showing my wife, my heart rate, my heart rate usually is like resting around 50. It's upwards of like 108 right now. So <laughs> we're cruising. <laughs> you guys ready for this? Uh, yeah, I haven't preached in 15 weeks, and I was, telling, I was telling that to Will this morning, and we joked, because I think the last time that that's happened, I was like 20 years old, so I'm, uh, for those of you who are guests, my name is Mike, uh, one of the pastors, and I usually uh, take on the bulk of preaching, uh, but my family was able to uh, take a sabbatical this past summer, uh, June through August, and it was a gift, just uh, super thankful to our church family for allowing us that space and time. Um, it, was, it was really just uh, good. And by God's grace, we'll reap the benefits of that for years to come. And so I really just wanna say thank you to you guys uh, for, for that. And then also just, you know, as, as we've um, kind of got back into the swing of things, I just continue to be really encouraged uh, by just, I think the maturity of Taproot Church is, is really beautiful to me as we've come back and just, have seen how things uh, were going and are going, and just uh, the gift of several other people to be able to preach God's word is really, really cool. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty awesome, right? Good. Glad you guys are excited about it. 
uh, with that, we're going to just get into, into things this morning. I've, uh, I got, I've gone back and forth between how to, how to start this sermon. Uh, number one, because I think I forgot. Um, and number two, because I'm trying to figure out uh, how much to catch us up. Because we've been working through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, but of course, over the summer we took a break and we went into Proverbs. And and really, Matthew and Proverbs uh, they go hand in hand. Proverbs is wisdom literature. Many scholars believe that the Gospel of Matthew is in line or in tradition with the wisdom literature. And in particular, uh, when we look at Jesus's words, Jesus's teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, we see that they're very similar to the teachings that we find in Proverbs. So I think one of the the major themes that we tracked throughout the book of Proverbs was the fact that there are these two paths, right? These two ways, the way of wisdom and the way of folly. And then what we see over and over again in the teaching of Jesus is that he is presenting to us two ways. Really, he's presenting to us the way of wisdom and the way of folly. And so uh, where we are at in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount in particular, is in the middle of chapter 6, which feels like a weird place to pick back up, uh, but it is what it is. And what Jesus does there is he just kind of continues to challenge us. Uh, One of the commentators that I like to read just says that Jesus likes to be in our face. Has anyone ever found out about Jesus? I think it's interesting, right? If you're someone who's like, oh, I love the teachings of Jesus. He's just so kind and yada, yada, yada. You may not have actually read the teachings of Jesus. Jesus is more than willing to confront us uh, at the deepest levels of our heart. And that's exactly what he has been doing throughout the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. So I want to just start out with this this morning. In light of our text, I think one of the things that we learn from the get-go is that Jesus doesn't care about our prosperity the way that we do. Jesus doesn't care about the fatness of your bank account. He doesn't care how much you have in savings. He doesn't care about your retirement plan. He doesn't care about the size of your house. He doesn't care about the kind of car you drive. He doesn't care about the brand of your clothes. Jesus doesn't care about our prosperity the way that we do. And that's key. Because in saying this, I'm not saying that Jesus isn't concerned about our prosperity. We'll use a different word here in a little bit, but that's the one we're using right now. But at the end of the day, what we see is that Jesus isn't ultimately concerned about our material comfort and prosperity as we often are. There is a bigger picture in mind. And that's what we're going to see throughout uh, this text this morning and other texts that we visit as well. Now, this isn't to say that Jesus doesn't want us to experience a full life or liberty or happiness. He does. And, and, and we know this because as we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount, remember, uh, one of the key themes that we have been tracing throughout this text is that it's the Sermon on Human Flourishing. Jesus' Jesus's entire teaching here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is this picture of what the flourishing life looks like in his kingdom, as, as citizens of his kingdom, as, as people who are living joyfully under his rule and reign. And contrary to the popular opinion of 
culture, God doesn't want us to be miserable. God's not just laying out a list of rules of do's and don'ts waiting for us to break the don'ts. He wants us to be a flourishing humanity under his good rule and reign. And so Jesus teaches us what that looks like. Jesus teaches us how to live this flourishing life. The problem, it's not a problem, it's just a challenge, is that it's entirely upside down from everything that we have been taught and are saturated in every day of our lives. And so we have to learn to be reoriented in our thinking and in our living around the words and teachings of Jesus. It's this kingdom life. And I just, I wanted, I did want to give us a, a definition again of, of kingdom, uh, just so we can uh, kind of understand this again. There's a quote, right, Tracy? Good. Um, there it is. Because kingdom is, is one of the themes that we're tracing throughout the entirety of the Gospel of Matthew. Right? Uh, we've, we've, we've talked about how uh, the kingdom isn't a, a far off, like distant reality. The kingdom of God is, is present now. And, and we are members, we are participants as followers of Jesus in that kingdom now. And, and the picture that we have in scripture is, is of uh, the, the kingdom of the heavens and earth are, are coming together. Uh, but what we're going to see is that the kingdom of heaven is ultimately going to take over. Okay? And, and here's what Patrick Schreiner says about the kingdom. He says, quote, So what is the kingdom? It is concrete. It is earthy. It is people. It is place. It is about Jesus. It concerns the cross. It is about the new heavens and the new earth. It is about community, politics, order, bodies, and human flourishing. It is about power, family, thrones, walls, gates, rivers, and streams. And I'll just I'll just highlight, I love how he kind of just moves back and forth between these like spiritual things and, and unspiritual things, right? The kingdom is cosmic in scope, and to close the door on the vast picture that the scriptures use to paint the kingdom is to misinterpret and misunderstand the goal of redemption. In the kingdom of Christ, the ransoms will be in the presence of God living under the law of the king. The kingdom is the basic edifice for entering the story of the scriptures, So we have to hold on to this because really what we see then is that the kingdom is the story of the scriptures. In Genesis 1, it begins with a king and a kingdom. It's all pointing ultimately to King Jesus, and it will one day end with a kingdom and us, his people, in the presence of King Jesus. Amen? That's the story. So Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is giving shape to what this flourishing kingdom life looks like. And what we see is that it's both out of this world and yet it touches every single aspect of this world. There is is nothing in our lives that is off limits to King Jesus. And that's what we're getting at this morning. So uh, with our time, our outline, three points. Some things never change. Uh, We're going to look, number one, at the deceitfulness of earthly treasures, number two, uh, the danger of earthly treasures, and then number three, we're going to look at the delight of treasures in heaven. So number one, the deceitfulness of earthly treasures. How are we doing? Good. Y'all are doing good. You got work to do. We'll get there. All right. Number one, the deceitfulness of earthly treasures. Let's read the text again. 
Jesus' words, if you can uh, remember kind of the, the setting, the scene that we have here as Jesus is teaching, uh, you have Jesus on, on a mountain, and you have really, I think, vast crowds that are behind him, but, but ultimately you see Jesus' disciples kind of at his uh, feet, and they're sitting and they're listening to their teacher teach. And he says this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So the first thing I kind of want to point out here for us is this, is uh, that Jesus seamlessly transitions from things that we would tend to call spiritual or sacred into things that we might call secular. And I think this is important to highlight because in, in the first 18 verses of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus has talked about being generous, in particular giving to the poor or, or almsgiving, as it was often called. Uh, then he talked about prayer, and then he talked about fasting. And I think those are things that we like to call spiritual things, right? But then he just jumps to treasure. And a lot of people get hung up here. And um, some scholars have said that this is a transition point for Jesus in the sermon, as if he's uh, moving to a different category altogether. Uh, But I don't think it is. I think this is a seamless transition. Uh, And really, he continues to hit at the same theme. And so what, what is highlighted for us is this reality is that, as I already said, everything is in bounds for Jesus. There's nothing in our lives that is, here, let's do it like this. We shouldn't be so quick to make the categories of secular and sacred. Because what we tend to do is we tend to say, oh, these are my like church, spiritual, Christian things. I'll focus on those things on Sunday or when I'm with other church people so that I can appear to be a good church person. The rest of my life, though, that's, that's secular Jesus doesn't care about that. No one else really cares about that. So I'm just going to handle all of that the way that I want to handle that. And interestingly enough, money, I'd say money and politics. We're talking about politics today, so money. (laughs) Money is at the top of the list. Like I think if we were to be honest and assess our hearts, in regards to the things that we don't want King Jesus to touch or know about, our money, our treasure, our possessions would be at the very top. But we don't get to do that. Because discipleship, being a follower of Jesus, includes economics. He is king over everything. And though Jesus might not care in the same way that we do about prosperity and material possessions and so on and so forth, he does indeed care. 
And he does give us wise instructions in how we are to handle these things. And so Jesus is king over all of this. And he is the perfectly wise teacher who wants to reorient his disciples' understanding around possessions. Now, at the heart of Jesus' teaching here is still, as it has been throughout the rest of Matthew 6, the issue of the quest for notice. So let's just kind of do a little bit of rehashing of Matthew chapter 6. Remember, uh, we looked at generosity, we looked at prayer, we looked at fasting, and one of the things that Jesus taught his disciples, teaches his disciples, is that we're not to do those things for what? There we go. Boom. Recognition. Yeah, we're not to do these things for the purpose of recognition. And instead, he tells us to go into this secret place of sorts, right? To give secretly, to pray secretly, to fast secretly. And, and remember what Jesus isn't teaching. He's not teaching that it's a sin if someone sees. He, he's not saying that the only way to give is without anyone knowing, right? He uses kind of the, the, the left hand, right hand illustration. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. How many of you have tried that? It's really hard. So Jesus is using hyperbolic language, extreme language to illustrate a point, and he's, he's getting to the issue, the matter of our hearts. Whose applause are we seeking? When we give generously, are we doing it for the purpose of, of people seeing our name on the check and being like, wow, man, they got deep pockets, or they're just giving lots of money. So cool. Or when we pray, do we try to pray in such a way that just kind of garners recognition or uses the illustration of fasting as well? Do we fast for the purpose of getting people to think, wow, they're really super holy, uh, awesome, righteous people? Obviously, they don't eat food for God. That's amazing. Jesus is still dealing with the quest for notice because we all know that one of the great curses that our money can give us is recognition. Like, you know, we know, how, we know how this works. Like, if we buy a nice thing that's new and shiny, it feels really good when people notice. It feels really good. And this begins to be what Jesus is getting at, okay? He's still asking us, where are we getting our value from? From people? and their praise, and their recognition, and their adoration of us, or from God. And so the first thing that Jesus just really lays out for us is just this simple fact that earthly treasures are deceitful. They're deceitful. So let's talk for a minute about what the earthly treasures are. Uh, well, to put it simply, well, here, let's do this. Verse 24, at the end there, it says that you cannot serve God and money. Uh, if you have an ESV Bible, there's a little number one by the word money, uh, and it references down there at the bottom, it says mammon. And some of you have, do, do some of you have Bibles that say mammon in them? Old school, right? Uh, most, most translators, it's actually really interesting, they don't translate that Greek word mammon. They just leave it there, but the ESV has chosen to take it and to, to reference it as money in our Bibles. Uh, but it's important for us to know that the word in and of itself doesn't just mean money, as in like dollar bills. Okay? It has a broader understanding, and it, and it really gets to the heart of possessions. So it goes, it goes to our money, yes, but it goes beyond that, 
And, 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 and essentially what Jesus is teaching us is that we cannot serve God and our possessions. Okay? So what, what would that include then? Well, anything. Right? It includes our, our homes, our money, our food, our clothes, our security, our retirement funds, our cars, our whatever. Like fill, in, fill in your blank. Whatever you possess, Jesus is saying we can't serve these things and God. And he gives us a reason why, because he's a good teacher. And so first, he just simply tells us that earthly treasures decay. Right? Earthly treasures decay. Verse 19, do not, that, that is a command, by the way, it is an imperative. It's not a suggestion. Jesus isn't saying like, you know, if, if you have found yourself to be responsible enough with possessions, then this is not for you. That's not how this is working. It's, a, it's an imperative to his disciples. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So simply, we shouldn't lay up treasures on earth because it's just of no value in the long run. Because things decay and things get stolen. So has anyone ever experienced these realities? Right? Um, we've all experienced this. Like the disappointment of how quickly new things break or decay. I can, I can think of numerous examples. Uh, one that's interesting, I just think of my own personal house. Homeownership's funny, right? Because we're like, yay, we own a home. And then you own a home for a week. You're like, man, who told us that this was awesome? <laughs> it is, it's fun. But you, you've experienced the reality of like, it doesn't take long before things just break all over the place. And I, I'm at a, I've, I've come to a point recently where like, I hate buying new things because even the new things, how long does it take for the new things to break? It's insane, right? Like buy some kind of new thing and it's gone in a, a week. You're like, this is, this is ridiculous. Anyways, it's just a bitterness in my own heart. <laughs> my home was interesting though because when we, we bought it, uh, the people who were there before us were hoarders. Um, not like on the extreme like TV show level of hoarders, but pretty bad. Um, and they had just stuff everywhere. And it was so interesting to go through the stuff and then kind of to hear their story a little bit. It was they wouldn't throw anything away because they just didn't know when you might need it. But as we're going through all of the things that they might have needed someday, guess what we discovered? They should have just thrown it away. <laughs> right? Like it was, it was completely useless. It was completely decayed. I mean, like tens, twenties, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of things just scattered about all over our property. It decays. Another example I can think of is my, uh, my kiddos have discovered Amazon. As with all of us, right? Uh, one of the things that is interesting, though, that, that happens often is they'll, they'll save their money and they will make a purchase 
and it will come, which is exciting, right? Because Amazon's on it, usually. They're not as good anymore. And it comes, and it's amazing how quickly they are disappointed in the thing that they just had to have. And, and then we, of course, as adults, we know how this works. Like, new house, you get into it, and within a week, you're fixing something. New cars still break, right? <laughs> My wife and I, we have, uh, we have high mileage vehicles. One of them makes a ton of noise when we back up. And it does other weird things, too. And our, our ongoing joke is, that's the sound of no car payment. <laughs> Yes. Anyways, the point being this, that earthly treasures, no matter what they are, decay. And so it's, it's just simply useless to treasure them to an ultimate degree because they will always let us down, which is the second thing that Jesus wants us to see here is that earthly treasures never satisfy. They never satisfy the, 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 the very fact of the matter is that we just can't get enough. Like, if, if our life pursuit is for more, when will more be enough? Uh, I think it's, it was J.D. Rockefeller who was famous for a- having the question asked of him, how much is enough? And his answer was, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And I, and I have this all the time. I, like, I will... I will confess to you, I, th- this text is very uncomfortable for me because I think new cars are cool. Uh, I wish my car didn't make weird noises. New ones are really expensive, though. <laughs> uh, my house, I love it. I really, I really love working on the house. I really, really do. I do. <laughs> but it's expensive. And I, don't, and I don't know how many times I've thought to myself, man, You know, and it goes up as a prayer because I'm a good spiritual person. (laughs) Lord, if I just if I just had like fifty grand, I could do all the things that we want to do, and we'd be satisfied. Yeah, and you all laugh because you're like, no, you wouldn't, (laughs) because we know, we know. That it doesn't work. We won't find ourselves satisfied. We can get more and we can keep getting more, but we won't be satisfied until we get a little bit more. Then we're unsatisfied. And so these things can never fulfill us. In his commentary on Matthew, Frederick Dale Bruner says this, and he's actually quoting someone else who had a really hard name to pronounce, so I just put it under Bruner's name. He says this, though. He says, quote, we want treasures because they give us security. But because of decay, moth, rust, thieves, etc., treasures lead us to security's opposite, anxiety. Because our riches bring us into a constant war with decay, they do not bring us rest. It is a great service of Jesus, therefore, to liberate us here from anxiety about gain. Jesus' ethic is the true liberation theology. I love that. And that that bridges with where we're going to head next week as Jesus specifically teaches us regarding anxiety and why we can't be anxious about these things. 
But for now, what we see is that Jesus is a good teacher. And Jesus actually wants us to flourish as people in his kingdom. And so he doesn't want us to be surprised. He doesn't want us to be deceived. He's telling us that everything we possess can be gone in an instant. In an instant. Like every, every physical possession that we hold near and dear in our lives can be gone like that. Therefore, we must learn to hold onto things loosely. We cannot be deceived. Number two, the danger of earthly treasures. The danger of earthly treasures. Now, I, I kind of went back and forth on the wording here. Danger is an interesting word. I don't want us to, to hear this and think fear, uh, which we'll address in, in a little bit. But it, it does get to the fact that earthly treasures can be absolutely dangerous. Look at verse 22. Verse 22 and 23. I know this is the one that you're all like, what does this mean? The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Uh, as far as I understand it, all that Jesus is teaching here is, is he's, Jesus understands that our eyes tend to be set on what we want, on what we desire. Right? Like it's, it's with our eyes first that we consume. And so Jesus is, is getting to the heart of it, and he's asking, well, what are you consuming? What are, what are your eyes continuously being set on? Uh, one commentator puts it like this, if the eye is not clear on this matter of money and property, the whole of one's life is perverted. That make sense? So, so this is what Jesus is getting at. Now, uh, let's kind of work through this a little bit. G.K. Chesterton uh, was, uh, I believe he was a Catholic uh, theologian, and he said this, quote, to be clever enough to get all that money, one must be stupid enough to want it. Isn't that great? <laughs> to be clever enough to get all that money, one must be stupid enough to want it. Now, here's, here's why I say the danger of earthly treasures. If you were to read through the Gospels and, and really through the New Testament as a whole, I think some of the most stark warnings in the teachings of Jesus are around money. It's around money. Some of, some of the, the, the harshest words that Jesus speaks, the most difficult things for people to hear are around the issues of money and possessions. Why? Because there are few things that will trap us and distract us from God the way that our treasures do, the way that our possessions do. There, there, are, there are few things, maybe, maybe no things, that will, that will get in the way of our delight in the Father the way that our possessions do. 
And so the warning is very simple and clear. Jesus just simply says, you cannot serve God and your possessions. We just can't do it. We, we can't say, I will, I will give most of my attention to you, God, but I really need to attend over here as well. This is really, really important. It won't work. We will, we will leave God in the dust for these things over here, for our possessions. I wanted, I wanted to read a few of the warnings that Jesus lays out later on in the Gospel of Matthew. So in Matthew chapter 19, listen to this, verse 16 through 30. This is the, the parable, well, it's not a parable, it's a, an interaction that he has with a rich young man. It says this, behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about this? What is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, uh, it's the word mature, it's the same word that Jesus uses at the end of Matthew chapter five, okay? uh, when he says to be mature as your heavenly father is mature or perfect. He says, if you'd be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. There's a story. Now, now listen to the response. In verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's, it's an interesting text right there, right? And the illustration is interesting. And a lot of, like, I think commentators have tried to figure out, like, where is the eye of the needle in Jerusalem and around the gate and whatnot? Jesus isn't trying to say that a camel can go through the eye of a needle if we try really hard. His point is the impossibility of it. We're not supposed to get hung up and be like, how can I figure this out? No, that's the problem, actually. Right? And he goes on and he says, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? Like they're overwhelmed by Jesus' teaching here. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you, have, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes, of, 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And so Jesus' teaching here is, man, it's really intense, because at the heart of it, what, is, what he's saying is it's impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God except by a miracle. Right? Which in one sense is terrifying 
And the other is absolutely good news. It is the gospel, the good news reality that we, we can't say, we can't do for ourselves. We cannot earn our way into the kingdom. And so by God's grace, he saves us. He regenerates us. He makes us new and gives us new desires. And that's the miracle that has to take place. But it's not easy. There's another, another one in Matthew chapter 13. Um, it's the parable of the sower. And many of us are familiar with the parable. We'll get to it in eventually. And in verse 22, is it verse 22? Yeah, 13, 22. As Jesus is explaining this parable to his disciples, he says this, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And so his warning there is, is simple. It's that there are those who hear the gospel. They hear the good news and there's excitement and there's joy and they're like, yes, I'm gonna leave everything. And I'm gonna follow Jesus. It's gonna be amazing. But it's that person who kind of eventually wanders away or they, 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 they slowly but surely become more and more distant from God. And Jesus says what made them to be distant is the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. There's another one that we're familiar with. This is the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So, just ask a question. Who would like to be rich? think, Think about it, though. Think about it. It's good. You can raise your hand. But, but think about it. Yeah, I know. We're like, yes. No, maybe. I don't know. Listen to the words, though, right? Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's the opposite of flourishing. That's not what we want. Then he goes on there in verse 10. For the love of money is a root. Just so we're clear, it's not the root. It is a root. It is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. In other words, the whole of the teaching is this, is that getting ahead in this life doesn't equate to getting ahead in the kingdom because it's just a different economy. It's just different. And so just practically, you might ask the question, well, how do I know? Like, how how do I know if I'm following or if I'm falling into these dangers, this danger of of, uh, worshiping earthly treasures over God? How do we know if we've fallen into this trap? I think, I think there's two questions for us to ask. First, what are you fighting for? And second, what are you weeping for? Like, like just think, think to yourself for a moment about your possessions, 
What are you willing to just have it out for? Or, or what, what, what possession do you have that if someone touches, like it's as if they've taken your first child? Right? Or what are you going to weep for? What is it that you just can't live without? What is your precious? Right? There you go for you, Lord of the Rings fans. So what then are we to do? I think that's the question we have to ask because we are a rich society. Like, I mean, the, the reality is, regardless of your economic status here this morning, uh, we're, we're pretty rich. We possess a lot. Even those who possess a little possess a lot. And so we have to ask, well, how then should we live? Which takes us to our third point, the delight, the delight of treasures in heaven. So look, at, look again at verse, oh, look at verse 20. Jesus has said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And he goes on, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it's really beautiful what Jesus does here because our tendency is to say, well, if these things are bad, if these things are keeping me from the kingdom, then we should just get rid of them, right? And this is the extreme answer to this verse, right? There are whole Christian circles or teachings that have gone and said, you just need to sell everything and that's the best way to follow Jesus. Maybe, maybe not. Because actually, believe it or not, you can sell all of your things and still not desire God, right? Like we can, we can be left completely destitute, empty, empty bank accounts, empty houses, nothing, and still hate God and, and just absolutely be devoted to possessions. So what Jesus does is beautiful because he doesn't take away, he doesn't remove desire, rather he redirects it. Jesus doesn't remove desire, he redirects it. In other words, this is so important for us to understand. Treasure, whatever it may be, possessions, money, is not bad or sinful in and of itself. The issue is its place in our hearts and how we use it. And so this is where we need to mature as followers of Jesus, is we need to understand how then do we use these treasures? And ultimately what we see is that Jesus is our greatest and clearest example of this. We know from the Gospels that, that Jesus would say that he had nowhere to lay his head. At, at, at least for a few years of his life, Jesus was homeless. And it doesn't seem that he had a good income. Right? Jesus, 
Jesus lived on the generosity of people around him. And yet he was satisfied. He was, we know that he was actually joyful, living as simply as one possibly could. Uh, help me out with the text. Is it, is it Hebrews 12? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Right? For the joy set before him, Jesus was willing to give up everything for us, and he did so trusting perfectly in the care of his Father. And so Jesus is our greatest, our clearest example. He endures the cross on our behalf. And Jesus' model of generosity then is what we are supposed to follow. So if we, if we wonder what our response is, is intended to be, it's intended to be, be like Jesus. It, it, it actually is like a willingness to give up everything of ourselves, our possessions, all that we consider near and dear to us to follow Jesus. Okay. Now, this is where this gets really tricky because now you're like, wait a second. Are we supposed to go sell everything? Maybe. It's interesting, like, that actually might be what some of you need to do. Like, like for, for some, it might be that extreme, like, man, my possessions, my treasures here have such a grip on my heart. It's all I think about. It's all I care about. It makes me worried. It keeps me up at night because I don't know if I'm going to have enough tomorrow. And it might be, like, that might be the best way for that grip to be loosened is to sell all you have and give it to the poor. but maybe not. Okay? So don't do that and say, well, the pastor on Sunday said to. That's not what I'm saying. See, this is, this is a, a wisdom text. So what does that mean? It requires wisdom. Right? So there's a few things, I think, for us to understand here. I think I have, there we go. First is this. Again, earthly treasures are not bad, sinful, they just aren't to take priority. Right? So we need to be able to assess our, our, own, our own lives, our own hearts. Maybe, maybe ask people around you, how do they perceive you handle your possessions? That, that would be an interesting one, actually. Because believe it or not, others tend to have an ability to perceive sometimes a little bit more than we do ourselves, Right? So ask other people, ask those in your home group, like, how do you perceive I handle my treasures, my possessions? Right? And it's very possible that we just need to take those things down a few notches. Right? Because, because our tendency is to take these good things, good treasures, good gifts from God, and exalt them to ultimate things. And we can't do that. And so we need to reprioritize. It's not, it's not a sin to have things. So let me just kind of set some of you at ease. Like, it's not bad to have a nice house. It's, it's not bad to have a vehicle 
whether it makes weird noises or not. Right? It's not bad to have a new vehicle. It's not bad. I would even, it's not sin to have like nice things, nice, nice clothes. I'm at the point, my clothes, man, I'm at the point where I, I will not buy anything that's super cheap because it just doesn't last anymore. Like I would rather spend $40 on a shirt that's gonna last a few years than $5 on a shirt that lasts a few weeks. Just again, personal experience. So it's not bad to have things. It's also not bad to have no things, right? Because some, some of you might be like, I don't, I don't have that much. My stuff's not that nice. And what's interesting is, is, is that you can be just as obsessed about possessions as the person who appears to have a lot, right? And so there's an assessment of, of the heart here. I, w- I would also want to say that it's not sinful to save money. Um, I debated on how much to get into this, and it won't be a lot. <laughs> but just to just suffice it to say, it's, it's not sinful to save some money for, for something, like for a rainy day or whatever. But that's going to look different for us. What's, what's important, though, is that we, we live in a, a culture that tends to, to put everything and how much we can build up, how much we can have for retirement, so that one day we can like, live a luxurious, cushy life. And if that's the hope, if that's the desire, it's misplaced. Uh, it's, in other words, then it's, it's sinful to simply place our hope in these things that won't last. Right? A, couple, a couple of texts to help us out with this. Back to 1 Timothy 6. So if you're, if you're wondering, well, what then, what then are these treasures in heaven? I think, I think Paul helps us here a little bit in verse 11 through oh, 19. So he's just, he's just told Timothy to, to warn the church in Ephesus about the dangers of, of possessions. Then he goes on and he says, but as for you, O man of God, O person of God, flee these things. Here, here it is, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who lives, who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. See what Paul does there? Like he, he, he kind of compares and contrasts some things for us, earthly possessions, riches compared to God. What's better? Good. You got it. <laughs> but listen, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to have any money anymore. No. I'm just trying to see if you guys are here still. That's all. Am I, am 
I going too long for my first Sunday back? <laughs> no. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Like, okay, so you feel the tension. Right? Paul, Paul's teaching is, is not, and, and, and well, let's do this. Paul is just echoing the teaching of Jesus, right? And he's not saying that it's bad to be rich. It's not bad to have a lot of money. Like, actually, some of you have a lot of money, and that's a really great gift. It's a really great gift. Praise the Lord for it. He's just simply saying, though, that our riches, these riches are uncertain, but God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. What is encompassed under everything? Riches and everything. Yeah, everything. Thanks, John. Everything. And then he says this, verse 18, that this then is how to live. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Right? One more. I was reading this morning in Hebrews. In, in Hebrews 11, I just thought this was, I don't know, insightful. It says this in Hebrews eleven twenty four 24, by faith Moses when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Like, that's, that's the motivation of, of the finished work of Jesus. When, when we consider the wealth of Christ greater than the treasures that this world could ever offer us. For he was looking to the Reward. And that's what we're invited to do here, is to look to the greater reward. So earthly treasures aren't bad. They just need to not take priority. Number two, stewardship is really important. Uh, this is just super practical for us. What we need to understand in the, in the teachings of Jesus, in the teachings of Proverbs, is that um, what we possess isn't ours, if, if we can understand that our possessions actually aren't ultimately our possessions, but they are God's, that really begins to transform the way that we think about things, that, that reorients our, our thinking and our living, and it begins to help us to ask the question, how are we stewarding what doesn't belong to us? I think, I think, for the most part, that's a human tendency, right? Like, if, if we're using something that is someone else's, we tend to want to take better care of it than we often do for our own things. That's right? not always the same, but generally speaking, I think. So if we can understand our possessions, whether it be our homes, our bank accounts, our vehicles, whatever earthly things, everything that we possess is ultimately God's, that begins to change the way that we steward those things and handle those things. We could ask, how, then, how are we redeeming earthly treasures for the kingdom or using our riches for the kingdom? And furthermore, we need to understand this, that whether economically rich or poor, however we want to categorize that, we all have something to steward. Right? So it doesn't exclude anyone. 
And so Jesus cares about our stewardship. And then finally, generosity and prayer are key. Generosity and prayer are key. The encouragement to the disciple of Jesus is to be generous. It's to be generous. And and when we talk about generous, we mean be generous the way that Jesus was generous. How generous was Jesus? Died on a cross. What did he give? Everything. Everything. He gave everything so that we might flourish as his people under his lordship. And so then our motivation, this is what Jesus does. This is how he redirects us. Our motivation for making much is in order to give much. Like, so, so some of you have a desire to make a lot of money. Cool. And some, and some of you are really gifted at it. Like, and I think that's a gift that God gives to know how to like, handle finances, economy. Man, I hear people talk about finances and economics and I'm like, I should have listened <laughs> at some point in my education. I don't know. I missed it. But some of you are really, really good, really wise. And the Lord's encouragement to you is to continue to grow in that gift and be generous. Others of us here, maybe, are quick to make excuses as to why we can't be generous. We say things like, well, I don't, I don't have enough. And, and if, I, if I just had like this much extra uh, in the month, then, then I would give. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. If, 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 if you can't give now, regardless of what you think you have or don't have, you won't give later when you think you have more. That's just how it works. And here's the thing about generosity. It, um, I think biblical generosity, uh, and you can go look at uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Extra homework for you. Go read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 sometime this week. Generosity hurts, as in like you feel it. Because you feel it to the point where like, man, if I, if I had that, that I didn't generously give away, <laughs> things could be a little bit easier for me this month. That, that is, that is how it works, right? But what generosity does is it loosens the trap that possessions can set, right? And so Jesus admonishes us to be generous. And we do so because it reflects the father who has promised his children that they will inherit the earth. So regardless of what we possess or don't possess on this side of eternity, guess what we as followers of Jesus will one day possess? Everything. Which is a beautiful restoration of Genesis chapter one and two, where God's original command to his people was to inhabit the whole earth and to enjoy all of it. And it will one day be that when we are with Jesus face to face, we will possess all of it. We will possess him. And that is the great reward. This is our reality in Christ. This is the day that we're anticipating And so for some of us, we just need to start praying. We need to reset our eyes. 
Um, Psalm 119, verse 36 and 37 says this, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Maybe we need to just start making that our prayer. Uh, for others, it might just be Psalm, Psalm 1. The Lord is my, sh- or sorry, uh, 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. We are in Christ. We are abundantly rich. Abundantly rich. Okay. Now, just really quick, I wanted to talk about something just really super practical for us as a church when it comes to being generous. Um, so, uh, many of you know that we, we try to help out with the Valley House as much as we can. And one of the things that we want to do as a church is help out with the Valley House even more. Like, we want to pour a lot of effort, time, energy, generosity into the Valley House. Uh, John and Kim, our director and assistant director, assistant to the director, (laughs) (laughs) the office. Y'all got that, didn't you? Yes. Um, Anyways, one of the things that we're going to do is in October, we're going to emphasize for the entire month uh, giving generously to the Valley House. So I think we give 300 a month. 350. We give 350 a month just as a church to, to Valley House. October, we want to emphasize and give more to Valley House. Okay? That sound good? That's just one practical way that we can just be generous with our money. Also, though, there's ways that we can serve. There's just, there's numerous ways that we can serve with, uh, with Valley House. Um, one practical that's coming up is that the auction is coming up this Saturday, and there are seats still available. And so if you would like to buy a seat, to go and eat really good food and participate in the auction, um, or even just to, to represent as a local church uh, would be really helpful, I think. Uh, talk to Kim, and she will hook you up with whatever you need. And then also, on a practical level as well, there's just volunteers needed. So uh, she needs volunteers on Friday and Saturday. And then she also told me that she needs at least one responsible man. Uh, who has a long wingspan and can do the raffle thingy for a gun. Does that make, is that good? Is that clear enough? All right. So that's just, that's just a, like a very practical, here's something that we can do to, to be generous, to kind of loosen the grip on our possessions and our treasures and be generous to something in our community. And we do so because Jesus gave everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you... Thank you that you are generous. You've given us the earth to steward. And I pray that we'd be good stewards. You've ultimately, though, given us your son, Jesus, to live the life we couldn't, to die the death that we should have. And we thank you, Jesus, that you rose victoriously from a grave and that you are uh, ruling and reigning this morning as king. Lord, I pray that we would live under your, your reign, your, king, your kingship, trusting that you are good, trusting that you want us to flourish. And I pray that you would loosen the grip of stuff in our lives, that we would flourish as we are generous. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave all. Holy Spirit, would you do the work of transforming hearts? May we delight this morning as we continue to sing songs to our King. It's in Jesus' good name that we pray. Amen.